0: Are you ready for God's word? Are you sure? Because we started an amazing sermon series, and and uh, I can't repeat what Brother Dennis told me. He said in street vernacular, "You kick butt," and uh, but he didn't quite say it like that. Uh, and he really enjoyed the message. Amen. If you enjoyed the message, would you would you share it with someone? You can go on the uh, you can go on the app. And and hit share. You can send it to friends and family. I want you to know our largest service is our fourth service. It's our online service. And it just keeps growing. And we keep adding more people. And so if you're viewing online, we want to let you know that we love you. You're a part of the family. Come on, church. Help us welcome anyone viewing online. We love you with all our heart. You mean the world to us. We also want you to know that we want to hear from you. I'd love to hear your story. I want to know how you connected with us and I'd love to hear what God is doing in your life. So please feel free to send us a message. Uh, We've been talking about an attitude of gratitude. Come on, how many of you know that gratitude is one of the most helpful human emotions? This is the reason the Bible says things like, enter his gates with thanksgiving. God says, hey, I need you to take this posture. And do you realize it's not for his benefit, it's for ours. So God is literally saying, I know what's good for you. And so I'm going to ask you to do what will bless you. And so if you have an attitude of gratitude, if you, if you purpose your heart to be grateful and to practice gratitude, not only will you live healthier physically, but you'll be healthier emotionally, with, which leads to your physical health. How many of you know you're, they're tied together? If you're an emotional wreck, it won't be long before your body starts to break down. And I'll tell you what, it leads to the greatest blessing of all and that's spiritual closeness with God and spiritual health is what it's all about, amen? Because your spirit influences your physical, I mean your emotional, which influences your physical. This is why God says, enter my gates. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him. And bless his holy name. Amen. Gratitude is so important. But I want to share this message with you specifically today. Because something shifts this week. There is a monumental monumental shift. Let me slow down a second. That takes place every year at this time. And it's something that affects the entire country. This is the week where we shift from being grateful and focusing on being grateful to having our carts full. Isn't that true? This is where we go from, you know what? It's all about Thanksgiving to it's all about me eating in Thanksgiving to it's all about shopping. We go from Thanksgiving to Black Friday to Cyber Monday. Isn't that true? And there are millions, if not billions and billions of dollars that are paid to advertising specialists. And if you're in advertising, I am not casting shade on you. That's a good thing. It's a good thing to know how humans behave and to try to market to them. Uh, So that they can fill their needs. But this is the problem. If we're not careful, and I'm going to cover my first point in a second, and we're not aware, then we can allow the enemy, not the advertisers, there's an enemy. We don't battle against flesh and blood. How many of us know that? We don't battle against flesh and blood. There are products out there that people need, but the difference is knowing when it's a need. And when it's agreed. It beca- and there's a slight difference between a need and a greed. And so this is what happens every year around this time. And I say that because do you realize the most depressing time of the year for most people is the holidays? And that's primarily because it becomes stressful. It becomes. Filled with anxiety and worry and not being able to have enough and we look at Pinterest and we try to keep up with all the different images that we're seeing and then we look at our house and go, my table doesn't look like that table. We'll talk more about that in a second, right? But we go from being grateful to having our cart full and we're online and we're seeing things like this. You might also like related To items that you viewed are these or customers who bought this product also bought and so they've gotten really good at leading us to what we could buy and so the thing is I I was thinking about this this is not really about what we don't have because if we didn't know what we didn't have it wouldn't bother us It's the awareness. It's the being made aware of what you might be missing out on. And it's all about FOMO. What is FOMO? Anyone know what FOMO is? FOMO is the fear of missing out. And that's a powerful fear. But let me ask you something. Is that fear going to bring you closer to God? unless you fear you have fomo of missing out of what's happening on Sunday morning right oh i've got so much fomo i got to be there i got to know what god is going to be saying to his people right but instead we have to be careful the way the the enemy uses fomo because he does he very very much does and i want you to understand something the that the the wide the wise sage said, Solomon, he said, As water reflects your face, listen to this, so a man's heart reveals the man. So your heart will reveal who you are. That's why the Bible says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so your conversations will reflect what's happening here, and what's happening here reflects who you are. Now, watch what he says in the very next verse hell and destruction. Are never full. So the eyes of man are never satisfied. How powerful are our eyes? This is how the enemy tempts us. He makes us aware of what we're missing out on. So that he might give us a FOMO of missing out. And thereby manipulate us. So we have to be very, very careful of this. Because the truth is, it's hard to follow Jesus in a selfie-centered world. And today I want to talk to you about how to follow Jesus in a selfie-centered world. Isn't that true? Come on, how many of us have noticed how self-absorbed we become with everyone having a camera now on their phone and constantly taking selfies? This... I love the different generations. But as I pass through them, I notice that things are changing and have changed some. Maybe it's just my generation that had to pay for pictures. We had to pay per picture. As a matter of fact, I used to work at a place called Flash. I had three jobs in college. One of them was a flash photographer. We wore a bright red shirt with a huge word with "enlightening" said "flash," and you would yell out "flash," and the flash photographer would come up. Let's say you were in the game, and he would say, "Get together," and he'd take this big bulky camera, like the ones at Six Flags. You know what I'm talking about? And he or or Disney, and he'd take a picture of you. And then three days later, you would go to the flash house and you would find your picture on sheets depending on the event the event would be listed at the top and you'd find your little picture you'd write the number and they charge you three bucks for that picture how many of you know you were selective you didn't because this is something that, that has gone viral in our society the other day my wife and i were watching two dueling pianos and the piano players were amazing their vocals were amazing they had backup singers The crowd was, I mean, it was packed. There was standing room only. We happened to get a seat. Primo. Primo seat. There's another table to to the the right of us. And there's about five to six young people. And I don't know if young has anything to do with it. They just happen to be younger than us. Right? But for one whole hour, I timed it. I timed it because it started getting annoying. They just... Selfie after 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 selfie. And I'm like, there's great music, and all you think about is yourself. I mean, is there something wrong with me? Because some people would go, ugh. I'm just telling you, it's hard to follow Jesus in a selfie-centered world if you want to be self-centered. Because Jesus is anything but self-centered. It's also hard in a social media-crazed environment. You say, well, is social media bad? No, absolutely not. We use it as a tool. But if you're not careful, it can become bad. So first point I want to bring to you is be aware. Be aware that anything not used in moderation and not used responsibly can be bad. Because the enemy uses our own senses against us. The sense of sight can be used to, to see all the beauty and majesty of God's creation or it can be used to enslave you in pornography. The sense of smell could be used to cook and to, to create, or it can be used to s- or sniff things that you shouldn't. Am I right? So anything can be used for good or for bad. And we're going to talk about this in a second because God made us to desire. He made us to be passionate. Passionate about what? About life and about him about our families and the good things that he's created. But the enemy wants to steal that passion, those desires, and to lead us astray with them. And so we have to be very careful. So when I talk about social media, I'm not downing social media. I'm saying be responsible with it. Be responsible with it. And for some of us, that means don't engage in it. See, the Bible says if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. You go, well, what do you mean? i got to cut my hand off? No cut the internet off, <laughs> delete the app, get rid of some things that aren't good for you. Amen. And so watch this. Social media has never been more popular than than, than it's ever been. It's, it's, it's at the highest level. More people in this world are using social media. They say that over half the globe uses it. You say, Oh, but Facebook is on a downtrend. Um, there's a shift happening. It's not going to be less, it's going to be more. The metaverse will be more encompassing than just watching somebody's profile here. You're going to be living in this thing called the metaverse. At least that's what the enemy wants. And so you got to be careful with what's happening because studies have shown us this, that there are many negative effects because social media has overrun its banks. What do I mean by that? A Lancet study published in 2018 found that people who checked Facebook late at night, listen to me, late at night, were more likely to feel depressed and unhappy. I can remember the good old days where the last thing we did before we went to bed was read the Bible. Now we're checking, trying to keep up with the Joneses. And it leads to unhappiness and depression. Watch this. Another 2008 study found that less time The less time people spend on social media, the less symptoms of depression, loneliness they feel. Is that true? That's what the studies are showing. Watch this. Another study found that Facebook users who felt envy while on the networking site were more likely to develop symptoms of depression and, in fact, more people who spend time on social media have feelings of envy and jealousy. And so that leads to depression. Let me give you one, one more. One more. Some studies about social media and mental health reveal that there's a correlation between networking sites and depression. Other research goes a step further, finding that social media may very well cause Not a correlation. Not happen that they go together, but that it actually causes. Listen to this. There's a causing depression. A landmark study, no more FOMO, limiting social media, decreases loneliness and depression. According to the findings that were published in the Journal for Social and Clinical Psychology. What I'm trying to tell you is this. It's easy to go from being content to worrying about content. Never before in our history have we had immediate results on how popular we are. Come on, how many times, I didn't remember being in school and feeling like, I might be like kind of popular. Right, you remember that? You're like I don't know if I'm that popular. I can remember being the new guy. I go, I'm not popular at all. And then I kind of got going in school and I'm like, I think I could maybe run for something. And I ran for a class office and won. I thought, wow. But now you get immediate feedback. What do I mean by that? You put something on social media, I only got three likes. And so and so got 100, got 300. They're three digits in. Oh my goodness. I never get any likes. I don't have any followers. I'm a nobody. You know, isn't that the way it goes now? And we get all this pressure and you might say, oh, I don't have a problem with that, but are your children struggling with it? What's going on? I'll tell you what it is. It's the difference between contentment and discontentment, and the enemy wants to rule in discontentment while God says the secret to real life is contentment. Real contentment. And so, number one, be aware. Be aware of what's happening. Listen to what what the Bible says. Some of you are saying, but but, but pastor, what does the Bible say? Man, I'm so glad you asked. You know it's not a foundation sermon, at least not that I'm preaching, if we don't go through at least 10 Bible verses. What does the Bible have to say? Come on, what I have to say is not important. Who cares about my little anecdotes, my little stories, my little uh, 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 experiences? But what does God's word say? God's word says in the book of James, what is causing your quarrels? What is causing all that uneasiness and unrest and that, ugh, where you just start fighting? You go, that doesn't happen. Oh, really? Because I do counseling and I can see that when couples get in trouble, there is a general unhappiness in the home. And anything can set you off. I'm just unhappy. Where is that unhappiness coming from? It's... You know what it is you feel you should be in another position. See the enemy uses position, pleasure, and possessions well there's some things I feel like I need and i 'm not getting there 's some things I, I want to be in another place i want I want another I want a, a higher status i want i want I want and so you got to be careful because listen to what the Bible says here. Don't they come from evil desires? Now notice, he prefaces it with evil. Oh, go back. Where are we at? There we are. They come from evil desires at war within you. So he's saying, if you allow your desires to be shifted on you, see, desires are not either bad or good. It's the way God created you to have passion. Remember we said you're you're called to be passionate about him, but the enemy wants to what? He wants to thwart that. He wants to come against that. He wants to turn your passion from God to other stuff. And so how does he make your desires evil? He makes it all about you. He makes it all about his world and his worldly system, and we'll see it. Watch, watch. He says, you adulterers. Why does he call the people adulterers? Like That's not a way to preach. This is Jesus' brother here. How many of you would like for me to call you adulterers? That's kind of harsh. But it's God's word, so I'm just going to read it. What does he mean by that? I want you to remember in the Exodus... He rescues his people from slavery. That represents what happens when a person comes from a dead life in the world. His eyes are opened. He receives the upgrade of Jesus Christ. You know what I mean? And he becomes a Christian. He goes from death to life. From darkness to light. And when that happens, you leave Egypt behind. And when you leave Egypt behind, you come to the holy mountain of God where God says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Why did God say that? Because he wants to marry you. Do you realize you are the bride of Christ? And what he says is, I don't want you to belong to anyone else. Forsake all other lovers but me. That's why James is saying... When you love the world, you are actually committing adultery on your one true love, God. That's why Jesus, when he, when he writes the epistle to the church of Laodicea in the book of Revelation, he says, you have forsaken your first love. Come back to me, right? And I'll come back to you. This is what Jeremiah says in our favorite verse. Listen to me. Our favorite verse in Jeremiah is 29, 11. What does it say? It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. But what does it say after that? It says, I will give you a hope and a future when you return to me and I return to you. And you will honor me with your prayers and call upon oh, man." That's what he's talking about here. And that's what he's saying. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? And the enemy's going to use pleasure, possessions, position. Pleasure, possessions, position. You go, are you sure? According to God's word, don't love the world or the things of this world. Why? Because it is Created by the enemy. You go, but how do you know that? Because in chapter 5 of this same book, verse 19, he says, don't you know that this entire worldly system is under the control of the evil one? That's what he says. And so this is what he says about it. He says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, what is the lust of the flesh? Pleasure. Pleasure. I love my flesh being pleasured. Watch the next one. The lust of the eyes. Possessions. I want what I see. Watch this. And the pride of life. Position. I want to have a high position. I want to be powerful. I want to be prestigious. I want to have. And so watch. He says the world is passing away and the lust of it. And so what is a lust? It's, It's an evil desire. Remember James asked, what causes this struggle within you? He says it's an evil desire. John calls it a lust. That means it's a good thing that God put in you gone wrong. Gone wrong. We're using our eyes in a way that is leading us away from the cross. So stay with me. Watch what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. What does he mean? Be careful about going after the world. When you go after the world, it's sticky and it grabs hold of you. So watch. Come on, stay with me on this. He says, instead, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Moth cannot corrode it. Rust cannot corrode it. Thieves cannot steal it. Come on, how many of you know it feels Cruddy! When you buy a Hickey Freeman suit, and when you go to wear it, and you don't fit into it, but that's not—that's beyond the point. And a moth has just gone to town chomping on it, and you're like, "Oh, feels horrible!" And then God reminds me, "You should have banked in heaven." Or how about when you buy a classic car, and all it does is what rust. It just doesn't stop rusting and it just keeps rusting and God's going, you should have banked in heaven or someone steals your stuff and you always got to be worried about your stuff and you go, oh, what do you mean? They're stealing inflation, stealing your stuff. And if you're not worried about it, good bank in heaven, bank in heaven. Watch this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also what did the what did Solomon say about the heart? What did he say about the heart it's at the very beginning of our of our of our message i'll tell you what he said about the heart, so a man's heart reveals the man, and out of the abundance of the heart, your mouth is going to speak. so stay with me on this because. Jesus just began. Watch what he says. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Watch. This is the most important part. The lamp of the body is the eye. Okay. What does he mean by the lamp of the body is the eye? He's speaking spiritually. How do you get information if not through your eyes mainly? How do you see if something's beautiful if it's not through your eyes? How do you know that something is attractive and that you want it, that it's enticing, that it's good? Mainly through the eyes. Watch what he says. He says, if therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What? It's like a riddle. No, 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 watch this. If your eyes are looking at something good, then you're going to be receiving light. If your eyes are looking at something bad, you're going to be receiving darkness. And if all you receive is darkness, day after day after day, it will darken your soul and your heart and ruin your relationship with the creator of the universe, your God. That's what he's saying. Let me put it another way that I remember my parents teaching me. Be careful, little eyes, what you... Anyone hear that when you were growing up? You were raised right. I'm just being honest, right? Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. For what you see. That's what Jesus is saying. Be careful because it does make a difference. How does that tie in with your heart? Well, well, watch. He says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve me and the God of materialism because the God of materialism and his world is passing away and the lust thereof. And so, do you realize that this same thing, pleasure, possessions, position, has been used throughout history. Satan used that same one, two, three combination on Eve in the garden. Go check me. Genesis chapter three. Go check it. When she saw that it was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and able to make her wise, pride of life. How about when he took Jesus into the garden, I mean into the wilderness, and tempted him? He tempted him with food, right? You're hungry. Change those into bread and eat lust of the flesh. He took him on a high pinnacle and he said, all this can be yours, lust of the eyes. All you have to do is worship me. Watch this, pride of life. You say you're God, how do we know you're God? The Bible says you throw yourself off of this, he'll give his angels charge over you and you can prove it to us. Pride, stoking Jesus' Pride there was no pride there why because philippians 2 tells us that he humbled himself even to the very form of a servant he took off his priestly robes and took on our very nature humility humility but these are the three combinations and it happens through the eyes now not in this church but in some places the bible's not good enough we need modern day psychology so I'm going to share something with you from uh-oh, from the book, Atomic Habits. It's a New York Times bestseller, and he says, on page 84, I think it is, he says, In humans, perception is directed by the sensory nervous system. We perceive the world through sight, sound, smell, touch, and taste. But we also have other ways of sensing Stimuli. Some are conscious, but many are unconscious. For instance, uh, you can notice that when the temperature drops before a storm, your body feels it. Or when you have this pain in your gut that starts to rise as you begin to have a stomach ache and you know it. Or when you fall off balance while you're walking on rocky ground and your body makes that adjustment, right? Right? See, receptors in your body pick up a wide range of internal stimuli, such as the amount of salt in your body or if you need a drink because your body is thirsty. The most powerful of all the human sensory abilities, however, is vision. The human body has about 11 million sensory receptors. How many? 11 million, watch this, approximately 10 million of those are dedicated to sight. Wow, that's an overwhelming majority, right? Are dedicated to sight. Some experts estimate that half of the brain's resources is used on vision. Given that we are more dependent on vision than on any other sense, it would come as no surprise that visual cues are the largest and greatest catalyst of our behavior. That means what we see dictates our behavior more than anything else. So this is the final statement. For this reason, a small change in what we see leads to a big change in what we do. I think Jesus said that. That's amazing. How did Jesus know that? Maybe you've heard you were created by him. <laughs> he knows everything. And you can trust him when he says, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful. This is important. So we finish this way. You say, Pastor, you've only covered one point. The last two will come really quickly. The second one is know the secret. So what's the secret? Well, Paul puts it very plain to Timothy, his, uh, his disciple. Watch what he says to him. The secret, Timothy, is godliness with contentment. What does it mean to be godly? It means to be generous. For God so loved the world that he gave. It means that you connect with the selfless heart of God. God is love and love is selfless. So you connect with God in that way. And then... You learn from him to be content. But how am I content? You learn to trust God. This is the secret. Watch what he says. For we brought nothing into the world, and it is certain that we'll we'll take nothing out with us. How many of you know you won't take anything from this world to the other side? Nothing. You know, a man penny-pinched every single cent he could throughout his entire life. He was getting older in age and his wife comes to him and says, honey, the family has grown. They've been so good and they've always helped us save. We are multi, multi multi-millionaires. Let's go ahead and have some fun and spread a little good cheer around this holiday season and bless our grandchildren. He says, no, I won't. I want to die with every last cent. She says, you couldn't be serious. He says, yes, as a matter of fact, You're an honest woman, and I want you to promise me right now that you'll bury me with every last cent. You'll bury me with my money. She says, well, all the grandkids and the kids had some, oh, no, you can't do that. Don't make that promise. That's his wish. We'll do it. So the day comes around. Just before they close the casket, she goes up, and she says, I'm going to keep my word. And she wrote out a check for every last cent, and she dropped it in there. She goes... I hope you can cash it. So long. Can I tell you, you can't take it with you. Am I right? Am I right? That's what Paul says. You're not going to take it with you, but watch what he continues on with. Having food food and clothing. That's where your needs are and that's what you should focus on. Are you fed and are you clothed? Has God provided your basic necessities? And this is what the psalmist says. He says, I've seen a lot of things in this life and I've seen a lot of things that are crooked and wrong, but the one thing I've never seen is God's children begging for bread and the righteous forsaken. He will not forsake you. He will not leave you destitute. He will take care of your needs. If he loves the birds in the air, how much more important are you than a bird? He'll care for you. He'll care for you. And that's what Paul is saying. You've got to ground yourself in the truth. The truth of God's word. Lord, you have provided for me. That's good enough. Because the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. John 10.10 says, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and you might have it in its fullest way possible. You say, but how is the enemy destroying? How is he... How is he killing? He's killing relationships. He's killing peace. He's causing couples to strive and fight and and bicker about things. And and you're causing, listen to me, listen to me very closely, parents to lose the very best years of their children's lives. Why? Because they're out there trying to make a buck, keep up with the Joneses, in the rat race. Meanwhile, their kids have less and less time with them. Can I tell you, no one ever at the end of their life said, Man, I should have worked a lot harder and gotten in a lot more debt. No one ever says that. They say the exact opposite, don't they? But watch what he says here. With these, you should be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. It's a trap. What kind of a trap? It's a trap to have you do foolish things and to engage this evil desire, these lusts of the flesh, which will draw you into destruction and perdition. Wait, What kind of destruction? Well, we've talked about it. It'll destroy your relationship with others because you're always competing. Remember Tumping Grandma last week? You'll be competing with goofy things. Your children won't feel that peace and they'll be striving for more. And what you do in moderation, your children will do in excess. Oh, I'm not that bad. But your children are going to do it 10 times worse. So watch this. If you're pointed in the right direction, your children will do it 10 times better. Amen? So here we go. This is where we finish. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Didn't say money was the root, the love of money. How do you know if I have a love for money? It's the direction you're pointing in. If God has your money and your heart, then it's well. But if you won't give him that, then you're probably pointed in the wrong direction. So here we go. We'll finish here. I want you to make a note of the word root. Root is something that's planted. And then it grows up and gets out of control. And he says, be careful for that because it will lead to all kinds of things. So so what do we need to learn? This is how we finish. He says, be careful, be aware of what the enemy is doing. And then once you're aware, learn the secret. What's the secret? Contentment. But this is where I struggle. I know a lot more Bible than I do. Anyone else like me? How many know a lot more Bible than you actually live. This is where I want to challenge you. The same place I'm at. I learned these truths a while back. But now it's time for number three. Practice. Practice him. Practice is when you put it. In to use. Listen to what Paul says. The things which you learned. And received. And heard and saw. Me do. Now it's time for you to do them. In one version it says, put into practice. That's the NIV. And the God of peace will be with you. Now drop down to verse 11. Not that I'm speaking in regard to need. For I have learned whatever state that I'm in to be content. How did he learn it? He practiced it. So you really haven't learned something until you've done it yourself. You know the truth, I know the truth, that contentment brings great gain. Do you realize that the great gain, he literally means mega gain, mega happiness, mega goodness, contentment, but you've got to practice it. Listen to what he says. I have learned how to have nothing and how to live with a lot. I've learned how to be hungry and how to be full. I've learned learned. How did he learn it? Number three, he put it into practice. As we leave today, I'd like you to put this into practice. Don't let this grand shift catch you. This shift from being grateful to being cartful. I want you to practice this year round. This attitude of gratitude and contentment. Listen to what he says in verse eight. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue or anything that is praiseworthy, meditate on that. As we finish, what is the Holy Spirit sharing with you? Is there an area in your life that doesn't meet up with this list that you spend too much time focusing on? Oh, I'm constantly on Pinterest and I'm I'm constantly, you know, kind of upset about my house not looking the way it should look. I'm constantly looking at other people's careers and I'm worried about my position and I think I should be further along and so I come home all wrought up. Is that praiseworthy? Is that pure Are those thoughts that I just described or maybe the ones that you're feeling, do they match up with this list? I'd like for us to make a commitment this year. That's what I'm gonna practice. This list of eight things. Eight means new beginnings. I want a new beginning. See, I think Paul knew What the psalmist said when he said, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. You point towards God and you practice those things, he begins to give you what you ought to desire. He gives you what you ought to desire. And then all of a sudden, wow, the things of this world, I don't even care about them. I care about things that will last. When I'm gone, they'll remain, and I send them up to heaven, too, like my family. I really care about my family and the time I spend with them and teaching my children hard work ethic and and God's word. I don't have time to be worrying about all this other junk. Come on. Anyone hearing me? So what is the Holy Spirit sharing with you today? As you take your communion cup, would you just say, "Holy Spirit, would you speak to me?" What area of my life is the enemy trying to trying to grab hold of and and use my eyes? Use my eyes to change my desire from a godly desire to an evil desire. From a passionate devotion to God to a lust. A lust for more. How is he trying to corrupt my heart? I really want you to ask those questions, dear God. Thank you for your word. Lord Jesus, you are the word. You're the truth and the life. I thank you for what you've done. I thank you for everything you've said in here. And I realize today that I was created to have a godly desire, a godly passion to run towards you and to look forward to heaven. This day, Lord, Help me stay focused on that. In Jesus' name. Until he returns, we thank you, Lord. And we celebrate your work on the cross. Maranatha.